Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I'm joined with the NBA Outsiders, John Lucas Duffy, and Frank Villani. Before I get to you two guys, obviously we come here uh, to this episode a couple days after the tragic news of Kobe Bryant's passing. And it's uh, with a heavy heart, a little bit of confusion, a lot of sadness, a lot of good memories, and a lot of content that has been spoken about Kobe to this point. But how could we come on this podcast that we call the NBA Outsiders, that we talk about the NBA so much, and not do our uh, our best job to talk about this a little bit? And we don't want to spend too much time on it because, like we said, it's been covered by people who know him, who have played against him, who have seen him, who have interviewed him, and none of us can say the same things. But from that fan perspective, I think it's really important to just talk it out. And uh, if you're if you're feeling a little bit like me where there's been so much said already and you don't know what else there is to say, that's okay. And uh, we're going to do our best job to kind of just cover it up, wrap it up for now, and as Kobe, we think, would have wished, move on to continue to love the game of basketball the way he did the way he seemingly re-fell in love with it, even post-retirement. So there's a lot been said. There's always going to be more to say. So with that, John Lucas Duffy, what's up, bro? How we doing, man? What's up, Pete? Uh, yeah, it's it's it was really sad to hear the news. It's still, like, every time I hear it, I still cannot believe it. it it's, uh, it's, it's really upsetting. Um, and Kobe, you know, a lot of, you know, like you said, everyone has been talking about Kobe with, you know, great reason. He was one of the titans of our game, and, and it's it's really upsetting to happen to him and, and his daughter and everyone else who was on that helicopter with them. And it's, it's kind of, you know, Zach Lowe said on his podcast, you know, people, when we talk about the NBA and the history of the NBA, it's now going to be, you know, before Kobe's passing and after Kobe's passing, it's kind of how we're going to look at things. And, um, you know, just on a personal level, you know, I, I have a brother, Frank, he's from uh, Cameroon and he came over to this country uh, when he was in high school to play at St. Benedict's for Danny Hurley. And, you know, he was a huge, huge Laker fan. And Kobe was the reason he actually started playing basketball because um, you know, he was watching him since he was a rookie. He, he, I, I was talking to him today. He said, he, you know, you remember watching his first game and he idolized him. And I remember my older brothers always teasing him saying, oh, no, LeBron's better. Kobe's not that good. He's nothing without Shaq, blah, blah, blah. And, it, it, you know, who knows if they did or didn't believe it at the time. It was just so it was it was fun to, you know, just poke fun at him because he, he really loved him like he was his hero. And it was he was the definition of kind of like a Kobe stand. Like he, you know, he wasn't crazy or maniacal about it. As some people you see on Twitter, but anytime it got in a conversation, like to him, that was the best player of all time. And there was no talking him out of it. And it, it was devastating to him. And, you know, I called him to see how he was doing and he was really upset by the news. And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's something that I know is going to affect him and change him uh moving forward not just as a you know a basketball fan but as a person you know as as someone who's getting older in his life and looking to maybe settle down and start a family and it, it's it's something that's going to resonate with him and 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 something that actually happened to my dad before I was born before my brothers even started playing high level basketball my dad was an AAU coach high level AAU coach in New Jersey for a number of years um my dad had coached with uh, Bob Hurley at St. St. Anthony's in Jersey City and for about f- five years. And after that, he coached AAU basketball for, you know, Bob Hurley at, uh, and, and his son, Danny. And, you know, F- Frank played for him. But th- even before that, he, he was coaching. And, you know, there was a time where he had like eight, I think he said eight or nine Division One players on his team. And he was telling me this story the other day. He was playing again. And I've heard it. A million times, but every time, you know, it's, you know, your dad telling you these stories, it always feels special to talk about sports with your parents. And, and, uh, he had actually coached against Kobe Bryant when he was in high school, coached against him in an AAU tournament. They made it to the finals of some tri-state tournament showcase in New York. 
and it was Kobe Bryant, Vince Carter, Tim Thomas were on the team, and he couldn't remember anyone else that was there. And it was really just those three and whoever else was on the team, right? And he had had, you know, almost ten Division One players on his team, and they got blown out by thirty points. Wow! And you can just—he said you could tell, like in those moments, you know, sometimes you just watch guys, whether in they're in college or high school, you can tell, like this person has NBA talent. NBA skill and it was something that always stuck with him in his mind and the story he's told over and over and over again but something that's always special to me because you know I I, I just, I'll say this to anyone who asks me like you know anyone at work or you guys or any friends I have is say you know you talk a lot about basketball it seems like you know a lot blah 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 and I always tell them like I know the least about basketball in my family uh, out of all my brothers my father like it's not even close they've all forgotten more about basketball than I know and uh to hear the the reverence that that all these guys have had uh, about Kobe Bryant, you know it, it it it's something special and it feels like something I missed out on and and uh, you know I'm just happy that you know we were here to see it we were here to appreciate it and uh, and he's gonna be missed. I mean, look, you told me I, I told you guys if you had told me if someone had told me Kobe Bryant was going to live to 200 years old, he's going to be the first person to do that. I would have been like, I believe it. I a hundred percent believe that. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I believe he would do it. And it feels like we've kind of been robbed as fans of, of his and as people who have respected him just because he wasn't done. Like he, he wasn't done giving to people and creating, you know, content and, 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 and just being, you know, he was just at service to fans, basketball fans, Kobe fans, Laker fans. And and he was going to continue to do that. You know, he always said, if my next 20 years, after I retired, if my next 20 years aren't better than my last 20 years, I failed. And, you know, someone said to him, like, how could you say that? Like, after all you did, blah, blah, blah. And he would say, you know, you, you got to understand, like, if I didn't have that mindset, I wouldn't have been the person that I was. And And it's true, like you could, you could really appreciate that. And, and, and if he felt like someone that was going to be in our lives forever, and it's just really disappointing to to feel like we didn't have a chance to, to kind of see that through. Absolutely. And uh, that definitely us being ripped of a second portion of his life that was on the rise and seemingly so special to him and his daughter. Um, it, it makes it all the more hard. I mean, if he was just 41 and retired and kind of living his own life on the side, doing his thing and still being Kobe Bryant, and but just being low-key. It, it may have been even different, but he somehow has become a bigger figure, a more loved figure, a more impressive figure post-retirement. And that is extraordinarily impressive and why it's so extraordinarily sad. Uh, Frank, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just to what YouTube been saying and what you see all over the place on social media and on television right now. Like uh, he had something to emulate like beyond sports. It transcended into real life things. Like I know we mentioned like his ability to just like intensely focus on one thing. And it's a mentality that you don't see often. It's not even something you could say like, Oh, you don't see that in today's NBA. Cause like you didn't see it in Kobe's NBA either. Besides Kobe, it was the Mamba mentality for a reason. Um, and you, you don't get nicknames and monikers like that for nothing. Like the guy was a legend. It's an absolute tragedy. Um, you know, uh, I'm not sure what else to say. Um, it's incredibly sad. I mean, I, I personally, like I never was the biggest Kobe guy. Not to say I wasn't a fan. Um, but like, how, how could you not have had immense respect for him as a competitor? Like on the highest level, the guy competed for 20 years and was, you know, on a championship caliber, not just all-star personally, like he carried his team up to a higher level too. So it's just tragic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rest I in mean- peace. I feel you too, Frank. It's it's so hard now. I mean, it's three days later we're doing this episode, um, and it's it hasn't gotten much easier for me, and I don't think it's easier for, for much of anybody yet. 
I think one of the toughest parts was TNT doing their thing tonight with Shaq and Dwayne Wade and Chuck and Kenny Anderson and obviously uh, Ernie. Shaq breaking down and just saying how, you know, all the things that he missed and that he wished he had that he didn't take advantage of, uh, take advantage of getting to talk to him more, seeing more of the things he was able to do, and, and all that stuff just made it hit even extra hard. And I don't think this is going to go away Obviously, it's not going to go away. The NBA is going to honor him as best as they can and put his name up there, you know, for us to see and think about and feel and be happy and be sad and be nostalgic about for the next forever, maybe. We, we don't really know exactly how it's all going to break down. Um, but there is one more thing I want to add. And as a person, as just like a human being, and as a, a host of a podcast that, you know, not that many people listen to, but I do you know, think, I think, I believe that I think like a radio host or I, I want to, or I try to think like that. I'm kind of wired to always think about the other side of it. And even a, a friend of mine who I was talking to about, and she was a little, you know, remiss about the situation. She's obviously upset, upset about the families being involved and the daughter and everything, all the other people. Uh, but they brought up the fact that Kobe had some serious negatives in his life too, but we lived through all of it. It was the the allegations in Colorado with the rape or domestic violence or whatever happened. It got settled. We never really know whatever officially happened, but there's a lot of strong opinions. So naturally, I thought of that, and I was like, how are people going to handle it? How is the media going to go about bringing this up or not bringing it up? And what I came away with a couple of days later is just even more respect for Kobe because what he did or did not do is terrible and tough to forgive and obviously horrendous in so many fashions. But to see what he was able to do in the rear of that allegation and become a better family man who figured out how to get his family right and care about his daughters, and he was like the proudest dad, proudest daughter dad to a girl dad, hashtag girl dad, um, that you really saw out there in, in, in the world of celebrity. He was able to take a really tough situation where he made great mistakes and grow and focus on becoming a dad and becoming that leader outside of the world of the NBA and having that second run in life that got cut short is what's the hardest thing for me because we were, we were due for a beautiful hall of fame speech with I'm sure jokes and, and laughs and, and tears and proud moments. We were destined for more content for more, for movies, for poems, for who knows what, because Kobe was able truly to do what he put his mind to because of that focus that we called the mom mentality. His effect on sports, not just basketball, will never be forgotten. Um, and I think you can talk about the negatives of his life and the valleys, but the way he riz, rose from those valleys and made it uh, a way to get better as a person and as a father and as a family man and a content creator and a basketball guy is, is truly powerful and um, makes you really, really just sad again. And if, you, if you're struggling to listen through this, I feel you because there's been podcasts and radio shows and TV shows that I've turned on and said, you know what, right now I, I don't want to hear all this. Like I'm sad about it. I heard so much about it already. There's only so much more I can hear and and we need a break. But the one thing I've heard from so many people, and not knowing Kobe, obviously we don't know him, but what we assume he would feel like when he says, you have to live every day to the best of your ability. If you're not trying hard at what you're doing, what are you doing? He loved basketball. He re-fell in love with basketball with his daughter. For us to sit here and to continuously mourn, I think is doing a disservice to the way he lived his life. And I'm not saying anything new saying anything that you haven't heard yet, but on a personal level, and hopefully you can get there too, we continue to remember him, pay respect, be nostalgic, be happy, be sad, be hurt, still hate him if he was beating your team, if you're watching a highlight, but still love him and respect him. All that's great, and we need to keep putting that energy into the game that he loved, into the league that he re-fell in love with, and continue to love basketball, watch basketball, and talk about basketball. Because to the best of my knowledge and all the context clues that I've been able to wrangle together, I think that's how Kobe wanted us to do it. So without further ado, we could talk about hoops. And it's going to be weird. It's going to hurt. 
We're going to randomly get that, that emotion or see a video that's going to make us get watery eyed. It's happened to me about six times in the past three days when I least expect it. But with all that said, it's important to still love this game that he loved and gave us so much in this game to continue to respect it and honor it and appreciate it the way we always do. For sure. So yeah, sports blog, New York podcast guys. Um, thank you for tuning in. Like I said, if that was, if that's hard for you to listen to, like I totally get it. It's reaching the point where like the sadness is still overwhelming multiple days later. And uh, everybody has their different capacity. Some people want every ounce of content about Kobe they can. I've taken in so much of it already. But I, I can't lie and say that I've taken in every second of it because it is hard. But it's okay to be sad about it. It's okay to skip past a couple seconds of it or to change the channel because it's overwhelming. But if you let it affect your love of basketball and your love of sports moving forward, I think you're taking what Kobe told us for the past 25 years of our lives and flipping it the way he wouldn't want you to. So it's a clunky transition, and there's no way to make this smooth. But that's okay, because we got to get through it, and we got to keep talking hoops. So Sports Blog New York podcast, I'm going to try to bring the energy back up. We're going to try to talk about hoops and talk about the NBA and talk about this game we love uh, with some more energy and some more laughs, because uh, it's okay to laugh in sadness and, and awakes and all that stuff. And, and that's what we're doing here. We're going to try to move on, and we're going to try to get better and uh, live and love the game of basketball the way Kobe did. So, Duffy, Frank, welcome, a true welcome back to the Sports Blog New York podcast. Other than that, because we've been so sad and we've been hurt by this, uh, how we how we doing, guys? How how we doing, Duff? Uh, you know, before before the, uh, this past weekend, it's actually been a really exciting week in the NBA. You know, where LeBron is moving up the all time scoring list. The Sixers, there's been a lot of controversy about who they should keep, who they shouldn't keep. You know, are they better without Embiid? Are they better without Simmons? Do they have to split them up? Doesn't matter which one they keep. Don't keep. Zion Williamson is back. The number one rated game this year, you guessed it, the New Orleans Pelicans versus the San Antonio Spurs yeah, on a buddy. Wednesday. On a uh, Wednesday, a flex game into ESPN that wasn't even supposed to be nationally televised. On a flex game Wednesday. ESPN uh, finally made some of their money back after they put the Pelicans on national TV for the first three months of the year. <laughs> thank God. Yeah, good for them. They needed a win. Um, so Zion. Zion's been the kind of big note this last week. He's been exciting. He plays fourth game tonight against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And we have four games now. We have four game sample size where they've gone two and two. Could have... Could have maybe been 4-0, like very realistically been 4-0 with him in the lineup. And, you know, Pete, I, I want to hear what you got to say. I, I actually have some some great notes and some critiques. You know, we did that first game reaction. But, you know, what have you guys seen from his, his first few games? And, and what do you expect to come from not only him but this Pelicans team? Uh, I mean, first off, a raw statistics point I'm going to make here. So uh, it was he's about 18 points, what is it, 7 rebounds, or 8 rebounds. Yeah, and like 19 just, and 7, or yeah. 19 and 8. 19, 8, and 2, 2 assists. Um, like that, in, in your first uh, four games, after coming off of a couple months of injury and no NBA action in your career other than preseason and summer league, from a raw statistical standpoint, he has been able to come in the game with looking uncomfortable at times, with being rusty, with being slightly out of shape, and still put up those numbers. I mean, analytics aside, uh, eye test aside, when you check the box score at the end of a game, if, say, you didn't get to see it, oh, Zion was doing stuff. And I think above all else, when I'm watching Zion right now in these four games, I've, I've seen, I saw the, all, the whole first one. I've seen uh, portions of the second and third, and I missed most of last night's game. Um, or tonight's game while we're recording, but when this comes out, last night's game. I missed most of that one, but he is so active, so willing to do the right basketball move, and that, above all else, with his athleticism, is going to make him a great player, and I see baby signs of the specialness with the second jump, the rebounding, the physicality, the decent touch 
or the pretty good touch, even if it doesn't look great on every layup or every shot he takes. A lot of impressive stuff, and I just think there's going to be a point in the next month or so where we go, holy shit. You know what? He's finally starting to look comfortable, and we thought he looked good before this. So that's what I'm seeing from a very general standpoint about Zion Williamson right now is that it's not even looking that good, and it's still good, and that's damn impressive. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Um, Duff, to your point that you made that they're 2-2 two and two in the games – uh, since he's been there, but they could be 4-0 if he wasn't on a minutes restriction. Um, I think that just kind of speaks volumes to his ability to impact games immediately, which um, most people, you don't see that in their first four games. Um, even the guy everyone's touting as rookie of the year this year, I feel like John Moran kind of took him like, you know, 15 or so games, 15, 20 games, and then now it seems like he starts to understand how to impact winning more so necessarily than just making awe-inspiring plays. Um, so Zion, I think, beyond being like athletically super gifted, is also, on an elite basketball standpoint, from from a mentality aspect and from like you know IQ perspective, uh, it's super impressive. Obviously, uh, I can't wait to keep watching. The, the Pelicans, though, I feel like uh, they were getting some heat for going crazy young and accepting that trade, even though they didn't really have a choice. But uh, maybe it's finally paid off. Yeah, you know what's weird about that point you just made, Frank? It, it, like, preseason, the Pelicans were one of the more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, polarizing teams to predict, right? Some people, well, I think like myself, were like, you know what? They're going to be good. They're going to be fun. They're going to be better. Uh, but I don't think they're a playoff team yet because it, it's just, you know, they got to get used to each other. Zion is going to be good, but is he going to be a winning basketball player yet? And all that stuff. And then other people obviously were like, oh, the Pelicans are going to make the playoffs. Lonzo and Drew, great defensive backcourt, blah, blah, blah. All these things are great, right? And, and and the previews are previews. But then we got stripped of that. And all the people who were like, ah, oh, the Pelicans weren't ready, we can kind of say, hey, look at that. We were kind of right. The Pelicans weren't ready. But in four games... And using that as a guide or a judge, like a guesstimation uh, point, thinking about what he could have done for this team, even if, say, their terrible start where they, I forget what they started, like 4-12 and 12 or something like that, like pretty bad. There was a point they lost like 8 or 9 in a row. Like if he flipped 2 or 3 of those games, that could be an incredible difference to where they are right now. With that 8 seed being up for grabs and they still have a chance at it, it almost makes you think like, damn, we not only missed out on getting to see one of the most anticipated prospects make his debut, we had to wait longer, but we also had to wait longer for a team we were so excited about to look like that team. Now they started getting their bearing straight uh, without him before he made his comeback, but now it's really starting to come to fruition. And there's a chance we look at this team in the second half of the year and go, okay, no, they're, they're, it's the eighth seed for the Pelicans to lose. And if he's able to do that, rusty, out of shape, I mean, we're looking at the prospect we thought we were going to see, and that's crazy to me. Yeah, and coming up on these four games, the things I've noticed from him is he he picks his spots. He's not overly aggressive. It's good to see. I mean, you're talking about someone who shot, what was it, uh, tonight he was 7 for 13, so just above 50%. It actually brought his field goal percentage down. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, right now he's shooting, he's shooting like 60% from the field. So it, it's, it's clear he's not pressing and he's, and he's trying to find the right spot. I mean, obviously this comes from a, a, a great three point shooting night in his first game, probably a bit of an anomaly for him to go four for four, especially in a three minute stretch from the three point line. Um, but the thing I noticed uh, when they were playing against the Celtics, and this was on Sunday, they, the Celtics in particular were getting him into some tough matchups against Kemba. And we think of Zion as this athletic phenomenon, but moving in straight lines and jumping, that's really when he's most explosive. But actually running up and down the court, I haven't found him to have like great linear speed in that sense. Is he's really like one or two quick step bursts and uh and laterally he he does not have it yet. I mean, part of this is We've talked about they're trying to teach him how to walk and run 
in a different way to lower the impact on certain parts of his body, particularly his knees, so that he can be, you know, effective and durable. And that's all well and good. Um, but right now we're seeing it still has not gotten all the way there yet. And the other thing, uh, shooting free throws. This is usually a good indicator of like how good of a, a, a shooter you'll be overall. And from the free throw line, he's shooting like uh, here. Um, it's, it's like six of about 15, six of 17 uh, from the free throw line in his first four games. Yeah, pretty tough. It left a lot of points on the table. But that's something like, you know, I said it when we talked about it after his first game. Like, he is someone who has a pretty natural smoke, like, or stroke. It's, it's very fluid, and he's he's got a rhythm to it. It's just about finding that right touch, getting the right reps, and kind of just – he's going to have to alter his shot at some point. I mean, it's a weird balance to try and find because all he does, honestly, is flick his wrist. He's just so unbelievably strong. He doesn't even have to jump or – really get into a shooting position and kind of just catch and flick it. It actually reminds me of Towns' shot a little, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Towns from three, like, he he jumps, like, an inch off the ground, if that. Like, if you told me that Carl Anthony Towns strong. actually didn't leave the floor when he took a jump shot, I would believe you. Yeah, it's, like, LaMarcus Aldridge, honestly, is pretty similar in that sense as well. Um, but... This guy, he's going to be something extremely special. I mean, the block he had in the in the Boston game where he just literally <laughs> punched the ball for the fifth row. row. Yeah, that was <laughs> just absurd. So I'm super excited for this team. I'm super excited for Zion. And uh, I just, you know, a little bit, a little part of me wishes these games weren't happening in New Orleans, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's something we're going to have to live with, I guess, right? The whole New Orleans part of this. Um, but luckily in basketball, you travel a fair amount. So we'll see him on some big stages out of curiosity. Did the Pelicans come into MSG yet? I don't know. I'll check that out. Frank. Um, yeah, and, well, yes, they did. They did. Ah, damn. Missed opportunity. Yeah, January 10th. Missed yeah, opportunity. Missed opportunity right there. Um, but Frank from a Pelicans standpoint and with the impact of Zion now, like obviously the eighth seed is in range here, right? But with the, the standings, the way they are with the Pelicans sitting at, um, 19 and 29. I don't know if that includes the win against the Cavs or not, but they're 19 and 29. What's the new ceiling for the Pelicans now? Because before the season, you know, their ceiling was probably like, you know, in the most ideal world, 49 wins at like the best 45, 44 at like a good above average 500. I thought was realistic, slightly below, obviously possible, but at 19 and 29 now, what's the new ceiling for the Pelicans after they picked it up without Zion and now inserted him and some more life into their lineup? Um, it's tough to say, to be honest. I think if they can get to uh, I don't know, like 39 to 40 wins, like if they, if they can get around 500, uh, that would be honestly unbelievable. Um, if they can get within five games of 500, I'd be – I'd be impressed. Uh, I think that's a realistic goal for yeah. them potentially. I don't know if that keeps them in the playoffs, but the way the eight seeds looking right now, uh, it seems like it will. So, um, so yeah, what, what about I would definitely what, love to see Zion in the playoffs. What about like in comparison to those other teams? So you have um, one through seven is pretty set right now. The Thunder are in seventh seed right now, um, four and a half games up on the eight seed. The Grizzlies. So between the Grizzlies, Spurs, Trailblazers, Suns, and Pelicans, do you think they can separate themselves in the second half as the best team of that bunch? Or do you think there is another team, maybe the Blazers or Grizzlies or Spurs or something like that, that you think can just square up with them and beat them even if Zion starts looking better? Um, I think they're second to the Trailblazers just because of what the Trailblazers have been like the last three years. Just like a playoff team and not an easy out in the playoffs. Um, a la them and knocking out Paul George and Russell Westbrook last year. So I think at some point that team will get hot. Um, I know Nurkic is due back at some point. And so he's been practicing. Yeah. So I, I know it'll probably take a little while for him to come back and look good. Um, but that's a team I definitely expect to kind of pace the eight seed moving forward. Um, Duff, what do you think? Honestly, oh, I, I, the last point I was going to make, sorry. 
Um, the addition of Melo <laughs> uh, has really been, I feel like, a net, hmm. a net zero, um, which is neither good nor bad for them. But he, he does, he does have that one night every once in a while where he'll hit a clutch shot or, you know, he'll do some mellow things that help the team win. So. Um, well, I think yeah. on the mellow front, and I, I didn't expect to like particularly go down this road here with him, but I mean, he's playing over 30 minutes a night. He's grabbing, I think seven, six rebounds, six and a half rebounds, something like that. And he's putting 16 points in the hoop every single night. Like there is a point where you can say that's net zero. And maybe from like a plus minus standpoint or a win share standpoint, his impact isn't analytically provable if that's a word or a statement I could make. But I think from an energy standpoint and to like a, a raw um, a raw statistical standpoint, there's something he's added to them that they didn't have before. So maybe he's a net zero by himself, but compared to the Hazonia, to Rodney Hood getting hurt and he's out, and whoever the hell else they have to play wing, I think it's a net win. I don't want to say a yeah. net positive for like a, above zero, but compared to what they have, it's a net plus. Like, is that does that concept make yeah, sense for sure? That's so like, kind of like what I tried to. Uh, yeah, that's what I tried to convey. I, I didn't mean to necessarily say like net zero as in like a total signing. Right. I think like I meant it in the sense like he was kind of out of the league and written off as a player. Like, but now he's come back and he's shown like he can be an average NBA guy. Right, and he hundred percent belongs. Is what we've come to realize. Like he belongs on a roster. Like he's not. What we were trying to say this whole time, or like I was trying to say this whole time, was like, yeah, maybe he's not an all-star anymore, but he, if he accepts it and does the things we think he should or could do, he belongs on a team and belongs playing minutes. Now, maybe this is too big of a role for him, but it seems to be the perfect role where he can be featured, playing with some other guys, gets his touches, gets his post-touches, um, and is adding something that they didn't have and like basketball reference, for example, has him at 0.9 win shares, 0.040. That's not particularly good, 0.040. Uh, for, for reference, like the best people in the league are 0.2, and he's 0.04. But like he's giving them something that they didn't have, and he's definitely, definitely not hurting them. And I think for him, that's a win. And I think for the Trailblazers, that's a win. So I, I don't know. I do have faith, though, Frank. I have some faith in Lillard and CJ to just grind out victories as this season grows old and uh, for them to maybe remove themselves from the Suns and from the Timberwolves and maybe even the Spurs, even though the Spurs are always frisky. But, Duff, what do you got? Uh, I mean, the thing for Mel is just like, real quick, we we need like the basketball version of war because you, you think about, you know, maybe he's a net zero. That's win shares. I just of, went through it. Yeah, yeah but like – Think about what's Mario Hazonia's win shares. Like, that's what you got to really compare it to. That's <laughs> who was sure. getting the bulk of those minutes of that position, especially late in games. He, like, you want to talk about absolute zero. He, he, that was Mario Hazonia late in games. Um, I'll tell you in a second, <laughs> by the way. I'm looking it up as we speak. Go ahead. Yeah. Just, just a quick note on the Pelicans. It's just, this team is due for a run. I, I really hope they can find it because this would be the most exciting eight seed. Because if the Lakers are going to be the number one seed, who would you rather see than just three guys who used to be on the Lakers, who are young prospects, who are written off for Anthony Davis? And, you know, who can blame the Lakers for making that trade? Certainly not I. Um, but you got all those guys plus Zion. And then also J.J. Redick still never missed the playoffs in his entire NBA career. So that's just a fun streak that you hope keeps going. You know, someone who's been in the league for 13, 14 years at this point, he's 35 years old. He's still never missed the playoffs. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, but for, for, you know, a, a set of guys who really seem to be fitting well together, there was Joel Embiid. He came back tonight for the Sixers. He was, you know, 24 and 10. It's his first game. I think he missed nine games uh, because that torn ligament in his hand after he got in surgery. And Ben Simmons was balling out while while Embiid was away. And again tonight, Ben Simmons comes back. I think he had, uh, I want to say, like, what was it, 14 points or 17 points? 17 points, like four assists, five rebounds, something in that, something in that range. And it's kind of strange for a guy who was averaging like 25 and 10 while Embiid was out. And... 
it's just a it's just a pair that doesn't totally fit. And I know we talk a ton about the Sixers on this podcast, but this pairing it got us thinking. Like it's something that doesn't totally fit. What's what's another pair of young players who are unhappy that want to make a change that could maybe fit together in a in a in a better way? And it got us thinking about Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. So if there was some realm where the Suns could trade DeAndre Ayton because he's terrible to the <laughs> To, to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Carl Anthony Towns because he's just pissed off and he needs to go. And honestly, that would be good for the Timberwolves. Say, hey, we got rid of one number one pick for another number one pick. You know, what more do you want from us? And we developed that guy into a star. So now who's to say we can't do it for this guy? You know, get rid of Andrew Wiggins, tear it down, and try to build it back up. So this, this pairing, if we had Devin Booker, and Carl Anthony Towns on the Suns, and you know, say say most of the Suns just kind of stays the same. How do you guys feel about that pairing? What do they do for a regular season? What is their ceiling in a postseason? Do we, you know, these these are a couple of guys that just have like a bad label to them. They, you know, people think they stink. They're not winners. Good stats, bad team. You know, I personally don't feel that way about either of these guys really, um, especially Devin Booker as he recently. I think it was tonight he became the first or I'm sorry, fastest player in terms of games to get to 7,000 points, actually passing Kobe Bryant. Um, and for a guy who is just so still so, so young, I think he's only, I want to say 24 years old or 23 years old. And he feels like he's been in the league for 10 years. You know, it's a really exciting pairing. And I want to know, you know, Pete, what do you think about this with this? duo could do in the league yeah well first to put a cap in the hazonia thing <laughs> his win, oh, yeah, yeah. his win shares per 48 are exactly half of Melo's. so uh it may not be a there big margin so he's 0.02 Melo's 0.04 neither good but Melo it better very much better um the, he, the pairing 50 percent better or no i'm sorry he's 100 percent yeah yeah 100%. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's that's pretty, that's, you know, it's better than what they had. It's better than what they had. But back to the actual conversation and good segue. So he's a, he's a net 100% better. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's another wing on the Trailblazers that we're completely neglecting, but the, clearly they don't matter that much. Nobody uh, cares about Anthony Simons. Eh, he's a guard. Anyway, um, uh, moving back to this conversation here with the Towns and, and Booker thing, I was almost thinking of it, of it in a different world where, like, we were able to put – Beal with Embiid, I mean, uh, Booker with Embiid or Towns with Simmons somehow. Um, but to go to your question first, Ooh, I, yeah, so that, we'll take it. We'll take it there next. But to keep it to keep it where you brought it first, I, I don't know if you put Towns on the Suns and got rid of Aiton and most of the Suns for the most part kind of stayed together or whatever, whatever it was, right? In this ideal world, I don't even know if they are a playoff team, like. They, they, I hate doing this, but they didn't prove either of them yet to win without a veteran presence. Booker hasn't even had that presence. Now he has Rubio and Baines, and you know, uh, Mikael Bridges is coming into his own a little like, bit. He has the, he has the, in with Rubio and Baines, he has like those guys meet the absolute minimum requirements right. of a veteran presence. Exactly. So, like with Towns, we did get to see at least him play with Jimmy Butler. He was still able to put up great stats. And he was able to be a part of winning basketball games. Now, how much of that was Jimmy Butler? And he's a co- uh, topic for a different day because what the Heat have been able to do is absolutely astounding right now to this point. Um, he's just an absolute winner. So how much of that can we even credit to Carl Anthony Towns? So they're a good team. They're a more exciting team. They're a more competent team. But I look at them at uh, next to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And do they even have the presence, um, the leadership, the, the crunch time ability that the Thunder have with Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, Shea Gilgis, and Dennis Schroeder. I don't, I don't know that they do. Now, Devin Booker's a closer. We've seen him do it. We've seen him get hot. We've seen him take over. Same for Towns. But the consistency, the defense, which is very important here, um, that's where it becomes tough. I think if that team was together, we're talking about them as an underachieving eight seed. But they are a playoff team. Uh, I don't think their ceiling goes to a point where we even consider talking to them, talking about them uh, in the ilk that we do Simmons and Bede or, you know, even Tatum, Kemba, Brown. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even think they're in that ilk of like, oh, they should be a top four seed because they're going to be sitting in the eighth seed behind the Thunder. 
It sounds like a not worst a defensive, defensive team well. in the NBA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, Frank. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> so I don't know, uh, Frank. Frank, what do you what do you think? Does that does that pairing excite you uh, about just watching them because they'll be fun, or excite you because they can? Oh, ra- if that pairing doesn't excite you, you don't have a pulse. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's 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 interesting to the point where it's like whether they win or lose games is literally just entirely upon uh, offense, which is entertaining to watch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like that doesn't seem potentially put up just like 150 casually. Cause the numbers that you look at for Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, and Devin Booker, but Towns specifically, you look at his numbers and you just go, Oh my God. Like this guy is so efficient. This guy is so talented. He does a lot of things, but then you watch him with your eyes and you're like, is he miserable? Like, does he hate his life right now? Because it kind of seems like he does. He and that's does. why that's why it's important for us to talk about him in this conversation because the NBA in the past five years has been uh, become about the disgruntled star and where are they going next? And even if they sign their contract, how are they still getting to the place they want to be? Or maybe not the number one spot they want to be, but a place they want to be more than where they are. And this is inevitable with Carl Anthony Towns because it's inconceivable to me how the Timberwolves can make this better for him. It's inconceivable. Unless Jared Culver turns around and is like, yeah, I'm actually also Jimmy Butler, like, but I'm just 21 instead of, you know, 30. Like, maybe. I actually like Jared Culver. But, like, can the Timberwolves feasibly even turn this around into a contending team? Or is their ceiling with what they're doing right now and the people they have on the contract uh, list, is their ceiling mediocrity? Because uh, that's what I see with both the Suns and the Timberwolves right now. Unless they hit some sort of jackpot or absolutely knock a draft pick out of the park, and, and that's a hard way to live if you're a fan base and if you're a franchise who settles or th- uh, strives for mediocrity. Like that's tough for me. You're saying Cameron Johnson was a draft pick that wasn't knocked out of the park. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he's pretty good. Like, he's not bad, but like he's not doing no, much. He's like, not he's, bad, but that's he, like. That's like a great 20th pick, not a great lottery pick. Um, but I, Pete, I like where you were going with this, where if we have Beal and Embiid and then Booker, or I'm sorry, what, what was it? It was Beal yeah, later, and let, let me Let me break this down for you real quick, because I'm going yeah, yeah, yeah. to give you some options, and I'm going to let you go off on, on what you want for your Sixers. This is for your Sixers now, okay? So these trades are going to be probably in the Sixers' favor. We don't know how they're going to be uh, done as far as like hitting the cap properly and picks and whatnot. We're going to put that to the side just for now for this exercise. Would you rather, as a Sixers fan, I'm going to give you three options here. Would you rather have Ben Simmons and Towns, Ben Simmons and Booker, or Embiid and Booker or Embiid and Beal? So basically build around Simmons and then go Simmons with another uh, small or Simmons with a big or go around Embiid and go with a small like Booker or Beal? I mean, the one, honestly, the one that excites me the most after these past, you know, nine games without any Embiid, like, I was someone, especially on this podcast, in private, in public, I had a lot of issues with Ben Simmons. Just, I feel like he wasn't trying very hard, this, that, and whatever, but like, he, he really is a player who's like trying to get the most out of not just himself, but his teammates, especially when someone's like Embiid is on the floor. He feels like he has to defer a lot because he's at his best, honestly, when there are just shooters around him and he is, he is setting picks and he's doing a short roll. And then there's just a one-on-one him and someone else to the basket who's, who's laying off space because they know he won't shoot, but then he gets a full head of steam coming at you from 15 feet away. And then that's just one quick dribble, two steps. And then he's going to make a move to the basket and honestly that righty hook has been so such a great shot for him so man i'm gonna have to go with simmons and booker i think that's i think that would be the best combo just because you talk about the youth you talk about elite defense and simmons elite offense with booker two people who can easily coexist together in the pick and roll um that's that's the duo that gets me most excited. Uh, 
And why not? Why not Simmons and Towns? And you know you how think, much I love Devin Booker. Like I've been talking about it forever, Pete. No, so. Of course, of course. But why not Simmons and Towns? I'm curious about that because Simmons and Towns seemingly would work better than Embiid because Towns is so much better on the perimeter. And I know we like to think Embiid's a good perimeter he's player. Better on the perimeter than Embiid, but he's not better on the perimeter than Booker. So, right. and he's not tremendous defensively. And I don't trust him to guard. Bigs in the same way. I mean, you don't trust him to guard and beat <laughs> or Jokic. No, you know, what I mean? I, you know, I do trust is Al Horford. So this way, now instead of having like a big surplus, you know, even though it's not really a surplus, because then after Horford, who we have, it's like fucking Jonah Bolden or Kyle O'Quinn. Yeah, Black Irish. KOQ, KOC, not KOC. As much as much as he's like just a great team guy and and someone NBA fans love to love. Not somebody you really want getting a lot of rotational minutes. That's not what I want. That's like, you know, as, as Kevin Durant would say, it's like Kendrick Book or Kendrick Perkins starting on your team and uh, only averaging like two points and three rebounds. You don't need that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have to go with Booker. Like, I just love him so much. I really would lo- I would like him to be on a team that's relevant. And I really feel like him and Simmons, like Booker just seems like the type of dude who has – still untapped potential where if he was on the right team and the right system with the right guys around him, you know, we're already seeing someone who averages um, 27 points, six re- or uh, four rebounds, six assists, seven free throw attempts, shooting 92% from the free throw line, 36, almost 37% from three. Like he, he is an elite, elite, elite offensive player that, really no one is watching or cares about because he's been on such a bad team. And I don't think that's good stats, bad team. I mean, it, on paper it is, but I, I think if you put him on a good team, he's just as productive. Uh, you know, statistically, you know, maybe he takes a slight step back, but just kind of basketball eye test wise that we talk about, he'll look so much more comfortable and happy where he is. For sure. I think I'd agree with that pick too. So, Frank, um, well, well, let me ask you then, why not Embiid and Booker, or Embiid and Beal, for that matter? Because I think Beal and Booker are semi-interchangeable here. Just uh, My mind always goes to it from, like, building a my team in 2K, and <laughs> you, keep, you keep your youth that way, and, you know, building through a big or primarily going through a big can work. Um, but in today's NBA, it's so much more about the perimeter style game. And if you can put yourself on par with the best teams in terms of putting points on the board really fast at a couple of three pointers in a short amount of time, like it's really invaluable. Um, but I don't think I would take either of those combinations over Embiid and Simmons yeah. like right now. There I think That's they a good still point. Have That's a good point. Yeah, I still think they have a finals like appearance, you know, whatever happens happens, but I still think they have a finals appearance ceiling and kind of like I said on previous podcasts, like it kind of shows when they play the better teams in the east or the better teams in the west cuz it seems like they show up more for those games. So yeah, I don't know if I would take either of those combos over what's already there. And that's a good point. Yeah, because, oh, go ahead. Really good point. No, no, I was just going to say it's a really good point because I, I still subscribe to the fact. I mean, I know I went on a bit of a rant. And I would sound like a lunatic where I was like, we're fine. We're fine. Like if we get in the playoffs, I love our matchups against anyone. Seven games defensively. Uh, it's just so dominant. And I, I, I truly believe that. Like I know I was sounding like I was making a mockery of it. So I really appreciate that point from you, Frank. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's what this whole conversation is about. Like, is this conversation crazy? Is it smart? Or even if it is smart, does it matter because the best option is still right in front of us? And a point made by Chris Ryan on The Ringer, who's obviously a Sixers guy, Philly guy, whatever, he was like, you know, this team here with Simmons and Embiid, even though we know they both knock each other's ceilings down just a little bit, their floor seems to be 50-plus wins and a strong chance at a finals appearance. And that's incredible because it's true, right? Like, Ben Simmons, for all the knocks that he's gotten about the jump shooting and the the ability or the lack of ability to do anything important without the ball in his hands other than just stand uh, by the rim, 
like he's still been a part of 50 win seasons and a playoff run. So with all the, the conversation and the rumors and the bookers and the towns and the Beals, is this still the best option? And Duff, you said it just a minute ago, the defense becomes the biggest portion here because Ben Simmons defense, I think has maybe even surpassed the rim protection of Joel Embiid. Like Ben Simmons effort on defense gets overlooked. He looks like we look at him as an offensive guy who almost tries too hard to look cool and not look stupid, which is why he doesn't shoot. But defensively when he's going, he is creating opportunities out the ass for himself and other teammates in transition and doing all sorts of stuff. And when it comes to playoff time, what team do you trust more to hold a team to 98 points than this Sixers team? And when it gets tough and it gets gritty and it gets wild in the playoffs when the style changes just a little bit, their style grows and becomes even stronger. So I don't know if the trade's the right thing to do, but it's a great exercise because Ben Simmons and Embiid, in theory, just don't make sense together. But yet, with all that being said, their floor is 55 wins and a possible conference finals appearance or a likely conference finals appearance. Yeah, and and him being this active on defense, I mean, it's definitely something that I overlooked. And it was just like staring at us right in the face because I remember before the season started, he said, I want to become a better defensive player. That's my goal this year. I want to make all defense. And he's certainly on his way because when I went to that Sixers-Nets game on MLK Day, he was, you know, he had like 35 to 34 points, 12 rebounds, 12 assists, triple-double, but he was flying around the court. He was so, so unbelievably active. He had five steals, deflection after deflection, just really bothering people, kind of floating around the court playing safe, like free safety. And that's when he's most dangerous because he's so long, so explosive, and so smart. You just can't fall asleep. It's like having like Ed Reed as a safety and you just like, you know, you think he's going one way because you read the tape and he was just doing, you know, this one thing over and over and over again, but it was always to trick you for that one big play coming up in the playoffs, one big play that could swing the game. And when he was on the court with himself, Neto, Cork Maz, Mike Scott, and someone else who I don't remember as the fifth, it wasn't uh, Harris and it wasn't, um, it was another shooter. It wasn't Harris and it wasn't Horford. Uh, he was basically the only star out there. He was definitely the only star out there. And Tybal? He he Yes, Tybal, thank you. So he's got those guys around him and it's clear he has to kind of do everything, spoon feed them offensively. Even if he doesn't have the ball, he's to move without it to get into good positions and kind of be the floor general on offense and defense. And he's the kind of guy cerebrally who's very cerebral who can handle that workload. And th- this kind of thing it was like a big step forward i mean we talked about brandon ingram and no zion room to grow things like that i think the same thing kind of applies now with with uh with with Embiid being out now he's back we'll see how it goes i mean simmons obviously was not nearly as good as he's been with Embiid, not in the lineup but we'll see what happens moving forward it's their first game back yeah and something i said to our friend justin babb who is almost going to make his return his triumphal return to the NBA Outsiders podcast. If you remember Justin Babb on the NBA Outsiders podcast, that means you ride with us and we appreciate yeah, you because it's been a minute. It's been like two seasons because he's been out in the wilderness doing stuff at mountains and lakes and showing people how to fish and whatnot. Uh, part of the National Parks Department. He's living his life out there. in the water, guys. Yeah, exactly. He's living his life out there with minimal internet connection, but uh, we were talking to him in in text message today, and I said to him very simply, I was like, would you rather build a, around the guy who's built like LeBron or the guy who's built like Shaq? And I think when you break it down like that, you need to do what you can to let Simmons shine. Because Embiid's amazing, and he looks like one of the best players in the world at certain points of time. But if you're going to pick one, and you got to pick a side on who you're going to build around and who you're going to grow and who you're going to make sure is flourishing... I picked the guy built like LeBron who has the passing feel of one of the best point guards in the game uh, and the ability to finish around the rim as one of the best finishers. Obviously, there's some flaws, but I'm rolling with the guy who's built like 6'10 and a freight train who runs as fast as anybody. Yeah, and we've kind of seen this this ceiling that Embiid has, and for Simmons, we kind of got a glimpse of it. And you feel like there's so much more room to grow, like, 
the, the player he almost seems the most similar to is not even LeBron. It's Giannis because of the the lack of shooting, just kind of the raw talent. The, he's such like an like an amoeba on offense and defense, kind of play every position on the floor, no matter what. And LeBron had way better ball skills coming into the league and and Simmons has really just kind of relied on his his you know mental acuity to to have an edge in all these games on either end of the floor. Yeah, I mean, we got a second half ahead of us that is going to be very interesting because seeding is really going to start to become an important factor in this whole thing. And when you look at both the Eastern and the Western Conference, in the East we have the team we just talked about the Sixers who are currently sitting in 5th place behind the Celtics, Heat, Raptors, and Bucks, and just a game or a half game up on the Pacers. Like, I know the Sixers are as built as anybody to withstand not having home court advantage, but you want that. You really do. You don't want to be going into Boston to start a playoff series or into Miami or even into Toronto for that matter. So getting above that four-seed threshold where you have home court advantage for at least round one to ease into the playoffs a little bit better it becomes vitally important in my opinion. Uh, and we saw it last year with the Raptors series, like that home court advantage was, was no joke uh, for, for both sides. And the same in the Western conference, you got the Lakers and Clippers now one, two, the jazz nuggets, Rockets, Mavericks three through six. And even more so in the West with the nuggets, the jazz and the Rockets, like those teams need home court advantage as much as they can. Uh, and you want to stay away from the Clippers or um, really from the Lakers, I guess right now you want to stay away from them in round two and hopefully see them in the finals. Same for the bucks. You want to see the bucks in round three, not in round two. So the second half of the season is going to be contentious. And I think we're going to see some real, real intense regular season basketball. When some of these teams face off, I'm very much so looking forward to it, but um, sports blog, New York podcast. Let me do a quick uh, regroup here before we do our last words. Uh, if you like what you've been hearing, if you like the show, the Sports Blog New York podcast, don't be bashful. Go on to iTunes or Apple Podcast app, drop in five stars, drop a rating and review. And uh, as my friend told me to add to this little promo thing here, turn your notifications on on your podcast app, whatever app you use, because um, you know he's a fan of the show. He's he's supporting the show. Shout out to Glenn Johnson, my guy. Uh, but he's like, dude, I don't get notifications. I wasn't noticing your shows were being posted. Uh, he's like, I, I had to remember to turn my notifications on. You should throw that in your little uh, promo thing. I was like, yeah, great idea. So how about that? Listen to my friend Glenn and turn your notifications on for the Sports Blog New York podcast. Um, but obviously this has been a, a tough episode. We talked about the Kobe stuff and it was sad and it was heartfelt and it, we tried to keep it as real as possible. And also, you know, we repeated stuff that was said because it's, he's been so talked about for great reason. Um, but we tried to give our fan perspective and our personal stories with Kobe. So share your personal stories as well. Hit me on Twitter at Pete Kennedy with two Y's or in the ratings and reviews because he had a way of impacting people on a personal level. Whether you were a Knicks fan and you found yourself rooting for him and rooting for the Lakers and wanting his jersey and wanting his shoes or watching his Oscar award winning um, short that he made, like whether you loved him, hated him, respected him, all that stuff. We all had a personal connection with Kobe, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, even in the sadness, we get to remember some amazing moments and amazing things, so definitely hit us up with that. But back to some regular stuff before we say goodbye. Our last words segment, which uh, now we can actually treat like a segment. I always just throw it in at the end. But uh, Frank Villani, how about this? I'll start with you. Any last words for the Sports Blog New York podcast? Yeah, so uh, me and Duff just so happened to go to the same comedy event uh, this past Monday, and we saw some heavy hitters. Uh, regardless, I won't talk about the show itself. Uh, we're going to talk about conversations people have post-comedy shows. Okay, you know, like, I like this. Let's Let's leave it at the, you know, did you enjoy it? And, you know, like, oh, you know, who who's your favorite? And besides that, like, I, I'm not here to recap a Bill Burr joke or a Louis C.K. joke. Like, I'm not going to do it any justice or, you know, not at least not the justice it deserves. And I feel like people are putting undue pressure on me. So <laughs> let's just do better as a society and understand that comedians tell jokes, not regular people. 
Yeah, when someone goes to a concert, you're not like, oh, you went to that, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Who's saying? And literally anybody. Ed Sheeran. Yeah. yeah. Did you go to the Ed Sheeran concert? Did he do that one song? Can you, what was that song? Can you sing it? <laughs> sing that song. Like, you don't say that. That's, That's not a reasonable so thing. And it's just like, oh, what joke? Oh, what joke do you say? Yeah, tell me tell me that joke. It's like. Yeah, right, what was I your favorite? It, so. uh, like, I remember the 50% of the verbiage from it. And it was hysterical. But it was also borderline problematic if it wasn't <laughs> talked about in the way it was. Yeah, it was so, you if know, it I'm wasn't not... borderline problematic, it was 100% problematic. <laughs> and if I so, remember half the words and none of the pacing, like, it will not translate. So, please. This is great. This is <laughs> perhaps. Next time, just please. Do us a favor and buy a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) This is perhaps my favorite last words. I I like, I like this a lot. The little comment on society. uh, Stop doing this. I actually, Frank, it's funny that you brought this up. I was at a Tom Segura show um, like maybe a month or two ago and he's working on his new hour for his Netflix special. And I was telling a friend of mine who's a fan of Tom Segura's and he's like, Oh, so you basically like saw his new hour. I was like, yeah, man, like it was really good. It had me laughing. Like definitely enjoyed it. Like it was intense. He's like, yeah, like, what, what was he talking about? And I, I, I tried. I tried to do what you just said you felt pressure to do. And I was like, yeah, he was making, like, these jokes about, like, your your mom and, like, how your mom has sex. And, like, it was so funny. And I was like, saying it out loud, I was like, from me, just nah. Like, that ain't it. Like, I shouldn't be saying these words. Not funny about me telling my, like, talking about my mom. Like, so ugh, it, was, it was weird. And I, I love those last words, Frank. That's very good. Yeah, and shame on your friend for trying to spoil the special for himself like yeah. what are you doing guy for real Come for on. real and uh i'm definitely not singing lumineers after i see them in concert next week i'm not even gonna yeah that's you. what i'm saying and i'm not gonna ask you because it's the lumineers no one cares <laughs> uh duff what do you got uh yeah for my last words i am i'm once again this is my second consecutive year i am an nba all-star hey so i'll be going to chicago oh congratulations uh, duff yeah repping resetting Representing, I'm a reserve in the NBA All-Stars. Uh, no, I am uh, going to be another production assistant for the event. I'll be there for the week, basically from the 8th to the 18th. And it's going to be a ton of fun. I can't wait. I mean, look, I'm not going to really see Chicago at all because, A, it's cold and I'm not going to be outside. And, B, I'm going to be working 12-hour days, but it's so worth it just to be around those dudes. Like, really, I'd start on, like, the sat Sunday before like a week before the all-star game, basically. And for the first four days, five days, I will not see one single famous person there. And, but those last, and I was like, last year I was like, man, this is kind of like a bus. Like I thought I was going to see LeBron walking around, you know, where's Dwayne Wade, where's, where's Dirk and all this stuff. But then like the last couple days when they had the, you know, the skills competition, the, you know, international game with the U S versus, you know, the, the, the international team and, you know, three point dunk skills competition, all this stuff. I was in the building and I was watching. It was like so, so electric and really people in it. It's not, I feel like it's not great for TV when you're watching it because I was always like, you know, what's the big deal with all stars and this and that. And there's too many commercials. It's not that cool, this, whatever, but live and in person, like I really encourage anyone who who loves basketball or any sport that you love to go see it in person. Cause it's, it's really like a big party for like four or five hours. It's so much fun. Um, Y'all so hiring? I encourage everyone to check it out. And and definitely this is a big time brag for me because it's not a big deal, but it's kind of a big deal. So Y'all hiring? I'll see you in Chicago. <laughs> if you're in Chicago for the All-Star game, hit us up. Hit us up. Connect with Duffy. Let's go. Why yeah, not? hit Pete up. We'll hit me up. Yeah, that works too. Yeah, that, that's sick though, Duff. I'm happy for you. I know you actually came back with some like really fire stories last year. So I look forward to some more of that. I love the humble or not so humble brag. Big fan of that as well. And uh, it's the rare moment that the NBA outsiders can be insiders. So yeah. thank you for carrying and I'm some hope, weight. I'm the sleeper cell. I'm in there as a sleeper cell. Yeah. You should and, get, uh, you should get a credential and just put NBA outsider on it. I'm going to put a sticker. Right on there, over my picture, it just says NBA outside. They're going to say, sir, you can't come in this entrance. They're going to say, I'm trying to go to work. And they say, good, nice try. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing my close personal friend, Amin Al-Hassan. There we go. I really hope to see him again. <laughs> Tell him I said hello, my our close personal friend, Amin. Yeah, I'm having a try. I said, I bought you Tecate that one time in Brooklyn. He's going to say, I was blacked out. And I'm going to say, I know. <laughs> That's very good. Um, that's very good. All right, so for my last words, I'm going to keep it here. I'm going to get the ball 
in the high post of my office next to my coworker's desk. I'm going to pump fake. I'm going to pump fake. Pump fake again. Okay, Mello. And I'm, no, nope, that's wrong. I'm going to pump fake again. And I'm going to do a fadeaway into the trash can. Kobe. 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 Keep it alive. Just keep it alive. And it's going to hurt the first couple. Just keep it alive. Forever, yes, man. Uh, my first my first one the day after, I was afraid to miss it. I didn't want to yell. He wants you, you to know? miss it, bro. You got to shoot all the shots. Miss all the shots. Shoot all what the shots. What did he say? He said, I, I play, he said, I play fearless. So if I take the last shot in the game and we lose, so what? So what, Frank? You make You're the right. next one. As long as you don't shoot your ice coffee with too much ice in it, and if you miss and then it splatters, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's when one one miss turns into eight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Shout out to the Sports Blog New York podcast listeners. We appreciate you every single time you tune in. Uh, shout out to Kobe, as we will do for the rest of the season and for the rest of our existence, I guess, with basketball. It's a weird time, but uh, we're here to keep loving the game the way we always have, if not with more intensity, more passion. That's how we're going to do it right here on the Sports Blog New York podcast.